Good evening and welcome to another edition of the CNS Guidelines podcast. My name is Brad Elder. I am neurosurgery faculty at The Ohio State University and I am host of uh, the Guidelines podcast tonight. Tonight our topic relates to methodology and history of guideline development. This is one of uh, at least two guideline podcasts that we have planned that won't really have a specific neurosurgical focus or, or uh, disease focus necessarily, but will instead focus more on the broader topic of uh, how guidelines are developed, including the, the genesis of, of the questions and the, the process that, that the different authors go through to, to generate uh, what you see as the final version of the guidelines paper. Uh, this involves National Neurosurgery Leadership and, and various guidelines committee to put this all of this work together. It's a tremendous amount of work uh, and should be podcast tonight and subsequent podcasts on this topic should be great learning experiences. And as a uh, host, I get to welcome highly esteemed uh, neurosurgeons as guests, Dr. Brian Ho, chair of the Department of Neurosurgery at University of Florida. He uh, may or may not remember this, but he's one of the first people I met uh, when I started med school. Uh, and he, uh, I was in med school with his brother, uh, and uh, he gave us some, some really key uh, critical advice at the time, which was some of the best restaurants in the, on the campus of our, our medical school. Um, so, so sorry for digressing from the topic. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. So I'm going to introduce uh, Brian Ho, who's going to uh, lead us off uh, in, the, in the first part of the discussion. Thank you very much. Brian? Thanks, Brad, and it's great to reconnect. I do remember uh, the long time that we've known each other back to when we were medical students at, at Columbia, and uh, you were a classmate of uh, my brother Dan, as well as his co-resident at uh, USC. But uh, I must not have given you very valuable advice then when it comes to restaurants on campus, because the only restaurant I think that I ever went to was the Columbia Deli uh, across from Bard Hall. Uh, at Columbia PNS, but in any event, uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, uh, I'm the uh, chair of neurosurgery at the University of Florida. Uh, I had the privilege of being the chair of the CNS guidelines committee uh, from 2015 to 2018, and then a senior advisor since then. Um, and more recently was CNS president uh, 2020 to 2021. Uh, so uh, thank you again. Uh, for having uh, me on this. Uh, I've uh, been passionate uh, and a longtime supporter of uh, CNS guidelines and really view guidelines as one of the most important missions uh, of the CNS. Great. Well, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your involvement, maybe the, the time when you were involved, how how the the guidelines process works? How does it? How does how do topics come up? What is the timing? Just just if you could just talk us through sort of uh, your memories of sort of the key and and what you view as the key kind of components of guidelines genesis. Yeah, good good question, Brad. So um, uh, the CNS really is one of the leaders uh, in guidelines and guidelines development, not just for neurosurgery, but uh, for any uh, neurological condition. And the CNS Guidelines Committee welcomes guidelines proposals from anyone, but usually it comes from uh, the sections. So 
uh, the various uh, joint AANS, CNS sections uh, will propose uh, guidelines, but really anyone uh, can propose a guideline. And, and now there is a, um, a proposal uh, form on the CNS guidelines website uh, that will ask various questions uh, when it comes to uh, proposing a guidelines topic. But the most important elements of a guidelines topic really comes to uh, how important the, the topic or the question is for clinicians, because we want this to be practical uh, and impactful uh, for it to affect uh, patient outcomes and improve uh, understanding and uh, improving outcomes for patients. But also along with that, there must be adequate literature and adequate data to provide support for guidelines recommendations. So you may have topics or conditions that uh, are very interesting, but if there isn't enough data or literature uh, to support uh, guidelines recommendations, then it doesn't make for a very impactful or significant uh, guideline. When proposing uh, guidelines, there's important PICO questions. And what PICO stands for, uh, P stands for, patient or patient population, who are the patients that, that these guidelines will be aimed at. Uh, I stands for uh, the intervention. Uh, what is the question? What's being studied? Is it a type of surgery or some type of uh, intervention or, or treatment? The C stands for a comparator. Uh, what are you comparing it against? Uh, the intervention that you're studying, what is the uh, comparison uh, to? And then O is outcome. What, what is the outcome uh, that uh, is being studied or, or being questioned? So uh, any guidelines needs to uh, come with uh, at least a handful or several very important uh, PICO questions. And then the guidelines committee will evaluate the various guideline proposals. Uh, oftentimes the person uh, proposing uh, the guideline uh, proposal will make a presentation and ask various, uh, answer various questions from the committee. Uh, and then the committee uh, will uh, decide whether to pursue that guideline. Who makes up the guidelines committee? Well, the guidelines committee uh, is made up of representatives from uh, each of the sections. So uh, each of the sections has a representative uh, on the committee uh, who will then vote on uh, the guideline proposals. Uh, guidelines are very expensive and very time consuming. So part of the proposal process, person proposing the guidelines has to have some idea of how this will be supported, whether there's any funding uh, that, that can support it and uh, where uh, the effort and uh, time uh, will come from. What would be if 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 we wanted to give an example of you know a guideline topic that was really like a home run like uh like this one really like crushed it in terms of like filling a need and there's great data and this is this is an, an intersection of like look we we had a great question great data is there an example of that that we could contrast to an example of something where you know, we, we looked into something and it just, there's just nothing there. Like, are there, is that how it's, are, are, is there a way or can you even organize guidelines like that in your mind? That's a great question, Brad. And I, I think one way to look at it would be to 
uh, look at which of the CNS guidelines has been the most cited. And I believe at this point, the most cited uh, CNS guidelines are the acute cervical spinal cord injury uh, guidelines. And, and we can just speculate as to why that is, but uh, one could guess that it uh, probably is very practical. ED physicians, trauma surgeons, neurosurgeons, orthopedic spine surgeons probably all are faced with acute cervical spinal cord injury patients on an uh, everyday basis. And so guidelines related uh, to this condition are probably very uh, impactful. One could also look at uh, which guidelines uh, have been updated. There are uh, recommendations from uh, the Institute of Medicine on how often guidelines should be updated. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, guidelines are often updated when there is new compelling and impactful evidence that's available. And so there are a number of uh, CNS guidelines that have been through uh, iterations and updates. Uh, and so um, uh, the gold standard for updates is every five years. And uh, there are a handful of CNS guidelines that have now been updated uh, at least once. Great. How, how comprehensive, like if, is there just a, a library of, of guidelines papers on you know, the CNS website that I can just look up any, any topic? Or is this something where there's, there's you know, a, a lot less actual topics and, and you know, it, just, it just depends on kind of where the literature is? Yeah, um, so there used to be a, a website called, uh, called the National Guidelines Clearinghouse. And this uh, used to be um, a website where all uh, kind of validated and uh, respected guidelines were posted and all of the CNS guidelines were posted uh, on this website. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, I think because there wasn't enough financial uh, support uh, to keep the, uh, the National Guidelines Clearinghouse uh, up and going, uh, this was taken down uh, and has been replaced uh, by a new website, uh, ECRI, uh, upon which CNS guidelines are also housed. Uh, but one place uh, for the neurosurgeon to look is the CNS guidelines website, which contains uh, all the CNS guidelines, as well as the CNS uh, guidelines app, uh, which has uh, many of the CNS guidelines right there at your fingertips. And I'd like to think is probably a very practical uh, place to look for, uh, you know, the neurosurgeon who's on call and, and sees the patient in the ED or the emergent patient and, and wants to know what the most up-to-date guidelines recommendations are regarding um, whatever question or condition there is that they're facing uh, on call at the moment. And, and what's the what's the approval process like? Is uh, you know is is the uh, you know I'm I'm picturing a kind of a guidelines uh, uh, committee and you know assigning different tasks to different. Like you say, it's it's maybe farmed out to the sections. They come with questions, and they they get tasked with doing uh, a lot of this work. What is there some sort of oversight that that uh, or or a way of kind of checks and balances that that looks at the 
at, what, at the product? Yeah, great question, Brad. So uh, in terms of the organizational chart or the, the way that this is structured, the CNS Guidelines Committee is charged with producing guidelines. And so uh, just as we had talked about, anyone can propose a guidelines topic. Uh, and then the CNS guidelines uh, votes on which topics the CNS will devote resources towards in developing guidelines. And then uh, the, uh, the CNS uh, foundation, the CNS supports that guidelines development, the writing of the guidelines, et cetera. Now, the endorsement or review of guidelines is performed by an entirely separate, different entity. And for good reason, you wouldn't want uh, the same entity writing and producing guidelines to then judge the quality and endorse the guidelines that they produced. So an entirely separate, different entity is the Joint Guidelines Review Committee, the JGRC. And this is a committee of the Washington Committee. And this is made up of members, uh, representatives from uh, each of the sections, uh, each of the parent bodies, the AANS and the CNS. And each member of this uh, JGRC uh, needs to have uh, uh, performed uh, the required training in guidelines, uh, methodology, and epidemiology, uh, and be certified in that respect, uh, and then be involved in the review uh, of a number of uh, guidelines. And the JGRC uh, reviews uh, all CNS-produced CNS guidelines, but also a great many other guidelines. So other societies, uh, the American Heart Association will ask, uh, the JGRC to review and endorse their guidelines. Uh, uh, other societies, uh, otolaryngology, um, uh, pediatric societies, uh, neurology societies, epilepsy societies will ask the JGRC uh, to review and endorse uh, their guidelines. And, and essentially, the JGRC is that uh, committee for uh, both parent organizations. So if another society asks the AANS and or CNS for endorsement of their guidelines, the parent bodies will ask the JGRC to review uh, and endorse for them. And does, the, does neurosurgery ask for endorsement for their guidelines to, for, from like say like the radiation oncologist, if we write a guideline on brain metastasis. Is yes, definitely, yes. And, so, and, and why, why is that kind of part of the system? Uh, well, I think that uh, uh, for whatever conditions, if there is uh, stakeholders and other specialties uh, and in other societies, it's uh, just um, good to have their endorsement uh, for the purpose of getting the guideline recommendations out to their uh, membership. Uh, so uh, on a, a guidelines on uh, brain metastases, uh, it'll be good for those recommendations uh, to be uh, read by um, radiation oncologists and neuro-oncologists, et cetera. So um, 
just in a way that they, those societies will ask for endorsement uh, from uh, the CNS and the AANS, uh, CNS produced guidelines will ask for endorsement from uh, the stakeholders and uh, other specialties and other societies. This is uh, Cervante Koduri. She's a uh, PGY-5 at University of Michigan. Um, the, uh, actually, I think I'm not supposed to say that the word Michigan being where, where I'm at, but uh, she's, uh, I'd like to turn it over to her, see if she has a question or two to ask Dr. Ho. Yeah. Hi, Dr. Ho. Uh, as Dr. Elder said, I'm one of the PGY-5s at the University of Michigan. Um, this has been super educational for me as well to learn uh, about all the work that you put into the guidelines committee. I had two quick questions. The first being, how long does it take from when someone submits a guideline to when you see that final product? Um, it just helps me understand uh, how much work goes into it essentially. And then the second question I had for you is, is there a feedback loop as to how practices are changing based on the guidelines that you guys are putting out? And uh, is there a way for residents and attendings to tell you how essentially their, their patient treatment has changed? Great, great question, Cervanti. Um, so uh, the amount of time it takes in guidelines development is variable uh, depending on the scope and breadth of the guidelines. So uh, something like uh, brain metastasis or newly diagnosed glioblastoma or uh, acute cervical spinal cord injury will take a, a lot longer time uh, then um, uh, one example of a guideline was um, uh, um, occipital neuralgia guidelines, which uh, had kind of a more focused and smaller scope and, and breadth. But I would say on average, um, most guidelines uh, take uh, about one to two years and you don't really want uh, it to go beyond two years because one could imagine uh, if it goes longer than that, then the literature is evolving and there's new data uh, and the work you've already done, the recommendations that you formulated maybe already become out of date by the time that the guidelines uh, are uh, formulated. In terms of the second question, Srivante, in terms of uh, feedback or impact of the guidelines. Uh, one way I mentioned previously is the number of citations. So if a guidelines is cited a great many number of times, then one could uh, take from that that uh, the guidelines have been impactful. Another way is uh, uh, in surveys. Uh, a, a few years ago, John O'Toole was a previous chair of the JGRC, conducted a survey of neurosurgeons regarding the acute cervical spinal cord injury guidelines. And this was published in neurosurgery. And I believe more than 70% of respondents said that the uh, acute cervical spinal cord injury guidelines changed their practice in some way. So uh, I believe uh, that, the, that a great number of these CNS guidelines are truly uh, changing practice and impacting uh, patient outcomes. So I want to uh, just maybe one more question for uh, Dr. Ho. I, I, I'm interested in your thoughts, uh, or if you could just speak to, you know, give me a sense of what what you think of as the overall mission of of a of the guidelines committee. Um, you know, I, th I think it'd be interesting to hear sort of your perspective, having been as involved as you are, and then what 
what future directions how does how does the guidelines committee you know how is it how should it evolve to help meet the needs of neurosurgeons in the future uh, great question brad uh well let me start answering that question by um bringing up the the mission of the Congress of Neurological Surgeons. The CNS uh, mission is the CNS exists to enhance health and improve lives through the advancement of neurosurgical education and scientific exchange. And I think that really uh, speaks to the heart of what the CNS Guidelines Committee is doing. Uh, I think that the CNS Guidelines really exist uh, to enhance health and improve lives. Uh, and it's through educating not just neurosurgeons, but uh, anyone who uh, takes care of patients with neurological conditions uh, to uh, educate them in terms of what is the most up-to-date evidence-based literature uh, to uh, guide us in uh, how, we, how we take care of patients. In terms of the future of the CNS, uh, Guidelines Committee. I think that, you know, uh, we live in uh, challenging times and there are all kinds of barriers to uh, developing guidelines, to the uh, distribution of guidelines, to raising awareness of guidelines, as well as uh, challenges when it comes to other uh, countries who don't, might not have the same resources or the same access to care that we have uh, here in the United States. And making those guidelines recommendations applicable uh, in a global sense for uh, neurosurgeons and other uh, providers uh, across the world. So it's an exciting time. There are challenges, but I think as uh, CNS guidelines evolve, I think uh, we'll see an even greater uh, impact uh, that this will provide. Well, I greatly appreciate your time, Dr. Ho. Uh, that was a phenomenal talk. Um, I learned a lot. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, the more podcasts I do, the more I, I think I have an appreciation for the complexity of, of not only just individual guidelines, but, you know, the overall uh, management of, of the, the guidelines mission. And I, I think you bring up a very interesting point about uh, making the guidelines applicable, not only to us in the US, but uh, in all other parts of the world where, you know, just the parameters for interfacing with patients may be completely different. I mean, just a lot of the stuff that we review in our guidelines, we maybe uh, take for granted and aren't necessarily applicable to our neurosurgical colleagues across the world. So I, I think it's interesting food for thought. Um, I greatly appreciate your time and, and congratulate you on all your uh, accomplishments, not only within the the world of the guidelines, but but uh, also uh, in, in neurosurgery in general. As a last touch, that restaurant that you showed me was called El Presidente. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so just to just if that if that rings a bell for you. Um, so Cervanti, I, I uh, thank you very much for joining us as a uh, as a resident uh, guest host and um, for thank you, our. Dr. Dr. Ho. For our listeners, uh, I want to uh, thank you for listening. Please uh, peruse the guidelines, CNS guidelines website for updated podcasts and updated guidelines. And I want to wish uh, everybody a good night. Thank you.